Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Talking Ball. I am Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, joined by fellow Lifetime Longhorn CJ Vogel, joining me as well. CJ, what's going on, brother? Not a whole lot, Rod. We're both in Vegas for the, over the weekend. I, I was a little bit shorter trip than you, uh, but it looked like you had a lot of fun over there at the Super Bowl. So uh, I'm, I'm ready to hear about it. I'm ready to hear what that the atmosphere was like, your time there. It looked like, I mean, it was obviously an awesome game. How, how'd you like it? Uh, it was a great game, man. Honestly, it's one of the best uh, sporting events and environments I've ever been in, period. Uh, I thought the first of all, obviously the game. We'll break that down a little bit and talk about it. Um, but man, just the uh, the ambiance, uh, the Super Bowl being in Vegas. I don't know if there is a better place for a Super Bowl than Vegas. I'm not advocating to have it there every year, like some people are saying. But I do think the NFL will have it there again sooner rather than later because it was a grand slam home run from almost every angle you can think about. And, and um, almost from everybody's uh, perspective and opinion that I talked to, insiders, uh, former players, current players, execs, they all loved it. Everybody thought it was fantastic. So you're going to see it in Vegas again pretty soon. And it's accessible because, you know, man, CJ made it out there. Every, hey, that's, that's flights to Vegas from all over the country, baby. Straight flights. Even CJ got there to partake in uh, these festivities. So we'll get into it and talk about it, man. It was great. Before we get started, uh, let's also give some love to our sponsor. And we appreciate John Donovan, president of Longhorn Wealth Management Group. John is a proud Texas X's life member who has served over 15 years as a Texas X's board member. His wife and all six of John's siblings are also UT grads. So it is a, a deep UT connection that led John to brand his firm, Longhorn Wealth, and dedicated to providing total wealth management for Texas alumni, employees, family, and friends. Uh, also, folks, we know we're talking about champions here, so congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. They are champions. Uh, speaking of champions, that is exactly what John Donovan brings to the table as a certified financial planner who has spent over 30 years, right, 30 years, folks, three decades providing championship-level investment, retirement, insurance, and estate planning services and solutions to all of his clients. So please give John Donovan and his Longhorn World team a call at 972-707- 4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. That's longhornwealth.net for a free 90 minute consultation to explore how they can help you maximize and protect your tax efficient retirement income to help you live the retirement of a champion. No doubt. So thank you to John Donovan and the Longhorn Wealth Management Group. All right, uh, CJ, I'll just start off getting your thoughts. Got several topics we want to get into here. I do want to talk about lessons learned overall from the Super Bowl. We talking ball. So hey, in the football universe, it's all connected to me. So we'll talk about the lessons that Longhorn football can learn from the big game, from uh, Super Bowl 58 and the championship performance of the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll also get into, I think, you know, uh, some other uh, connections, some ideas that I think Sark and Texas football can uh, can steal from Andy Reid, steal from uh, – even steal from Kyle Shanahan. This is a great game in a lot of ways uh, because you did have two great coaches, but Andy Reid setting himself apart. Uh, he, he might be in the GOAT conversation now. <laughs> My man Shanahan is in a different conversation. We'll talk about that, but first, your thoughts on the game, CJ. Well, I thought it was a slow game at first. I think we all could agree with that. It was a 10-3 halftime score. It really took until the last 30 seconds for the Chiefs to really get any sort of movement offensively to get you know in position for, for points. Obviously, the fumble early on hurt them by Isaiah Pacheco. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm an offensive guy through and through. I like seeing points. I like seeing explosive plays. 
the Chiefs early on to me, it just didn't feel like they brought it, if you if you know what I mean. Like they they just weren't lacking that intensity. And I think Chris Jones even mentioned it in the postgame when he was talking to uh to uh to Booger and uh and and Chris Berman up on the ESPN site. He was like, you know what? Like they dictated the, the line of scrimmage. And I think that's really key when you've talked about winning football teams, what's important? And it's that line of scrimmage. Obviously, the, the Chiefs were without uh, uh, Thune, their uh, all-pro guard. And you really saw early on that they just didn't have what it took to run the ball consistently between the tackles. You know, they had a, a couple nice runs, four, five, six. That necessarily wasn't going to dictate what they were going to do offensively, though. And I right. think it in large part, they were behind the chains too often to really allow Mahomes to take the deep shots, to take those intermediate routes, and obviously the the pass prote- or pass protection from the Chiefs just wasn't up to par with what the Chief- with what the Niners were bringing to the table. So, uh, not having that short up, you know, offensive line to me really dictated what it was that the Chiefs couldn't do offensively, and as a result, that's why that that I thought that they started off so slowly, but the adjustments came. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. I think he's in that conversation mm-hmm. to be the greatest of all time. I think he is the best quarterback that we've ever seen in the NFL, just from a pure talent perspective and what he's able to do to dictate the outcome of games. What he does is so impressive. We're talking about a team that had really no wide receiver one the entire season. They led the league in drops. Kelsey went through a, a, a span this year where he didn't look like the all-pro tight end himself. And yet here we are talking about the worst team that Mahomes has been a part of and they're still hoisting Lombardi. I think that's impressive. And so credit to the Chiefs defense for keeping that game close because the Niners could have run away with that seemingly at any moment, especially at the first or second quarters. It felt like they couldn't stop the run. And then, uh, you know, just like that, things flipped. Chiefs defense came alive, third quarter especially, and Mahomes did Mahomes things. Uh, yeah, Mahomes, I, Mahomes magic is pretty much <laughs> become something that's inevitable in clutch time, in critical moments. And we yeah. saw it once again on the big stage. I'm with you. I thought the 49ers actually controlled the game. I thought they outplayed and outcoached this, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in the first half. Yeah, that's yeah. just let you know how great this Kansas City Chiefs team is. And they were prepared for almost every scenario. They, they scratched and clawed their way most of the first half. And when you looked at halftime, it seemed like even though at one point the 49ers did have a, a double-digit lead, they did have a 10-point lead at one point, felt like they should have been a bigger lead. It felt like they had yeah. outplayed and outcoached Kansas City uh, to that point where it should have been a bigger lead. But right before, like I said, right before half, Kansas City found a way to put a drive together. I think a lot of that was because Drake Greenlaw went down. That was a big part of it. You forget, that was a big loss early on in that first half. And they started attacking that board right there uh, in the middle of the field. And a lot of those plays were made where Greenlaw would have been. Uh, and I think Kansas City, once they made the adjustments after half, and I thought something was really interesting for Kansas City too. Um, and you talked about this, man, Travis Kelsey, Steve uh, Steve Wilson did a really good job early on being able to sever that connection between Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. I believe he had one reception, if I'm not mistaken, at halftime. Um, Zero yards. Exactly. Um, And he ends ends the game making several big plays. I believe he ends up with nine catches total uh, in the game. Uh, That was was big. And to me, that shows you Andy Reid being the best play-calling head coach in football today at any level. That's right, any level. And that relates to Steve Sarkeesian because Steve Sarkeesian is a play-calling head coach. There's nobody better right now that calls plays as a head coach in football than Andy Reid. His guys are prepared for every scenario. It almost feels like, CJ, that the first two quarters 
that even the first three quarters, it feels like sometimes that they're using it to, to, to almost troubleshoot. They're using it to figure out. They're just they're just picking up different data points. All right, it's almost a a a, a supercomputer that Patrick Mahomes right. is processing three quarters of information, and then when he gets to the fourth quarter and overtime, he's got every data point that he needs to just disassemble and eviscerate your defense. And that's what happened to the 49ers down the stretch. 49ers defense played great for three quarters. But in the fourth quarter, they could not stop. They could not neutralize Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Seems like Andy Reid was dialing up play after play. And seems like he had more of those what I call money plays. Now, money plays when you need it, you got to have it third, fourth down. It seems like Andy Reid over and over again kept dialing yeah. up big money plays on big downs. When you're talking about the fourth down, Patrick Mahomes runs kind of a new school triple option play. Uh, what are you talking about? The touchdown, obviously, where they ran the same play they ran from last year to get a game-winning touchdown, Corn Dog. Andy Reid seems always prepared for every situation. And that is the first lesson, I think, that Sark can learn from Andy Reid, preparing for every possible situation and scenario. His guys are ready. Even at the end of the game, a lot of people, myself, even I'm freaking out. I'm thinking to myself, they're not stopping the clock at all. They must see something. Because otherwise they they're not, they're not calmly walking to the line, but they saw exactly what they wanted to see, which was the fact that there was no fail safe within the coverage for the 49ers. They were gonna bump that motion over, and if you if you did that return motion, which is what they did, there was no there was no answer for it. There was no solution right. for it. And once again, Andy Reid seems to have the answers that other people do not. Yeah, I, I like what you said. It was the adjustments that we saw. And, you know, we talk about what Sarkeesian can continue to develop on. Obviously, he did, he had a pretty good year three. I think we can all yes, agree with that. But there are several times throughout the year in which we saw Texas, you know, go up a couple, uh, a couple scores and, and you see that lead start to slip away. And you're like, all right, one team made an adjustment and Texas might have stayed pat where you could have built on this lead and, and really blown out the the doors you know it, it wouldn't have been a close game as it would tcu houston come to mind there were a couple other instances in which texas had an opportunity to extend leads and didn't and i think mm -hmm. one thing that really stands out to me is the first half the trenches were dominated by san francisco it was it was yep. chase young and it was joey bose off the okay. edge yep they were yep. dominant getting pressure on patrick mahomes what did we see in the second half a neutralization of that pass rush Tighter splits with the right uh, with the tight ends. There was more chipping. There was more staying at home from uh, your your running backs. You know, it was Isaiah Pacheco and and uh, you know, uh, Jerick McKinnon really catching balls out of the backfield. That was the only offense that we saw from the Chiefs at in the first half. Second half, they keep them in the pocket. They chip off the off the edge. They give Mahomes time to really do the magic that we've seen him do. And I thought that was interesting. And then the other main takeaway that I had was being able to keep your playmakers involved throughout the game. And that's on both sides of the ball. That's what the Chiefs did better in the second half than they did in the first half. And it's what the Niners didn't do necessarily a great job of in the second half in my eyes. They tried to get the ball to Debo Samuel. Obviously, he was a little banged up with the hamstring or groin that he was ailing on uh, in the third quarter. They just couldn't get the ball to him. And you mentioned Travis Kelsey having one catch for zero yards in the first uh, the first half. Ending for nine and ninety-three, it didn't wow. feel like that was going to be his stat line. And no. I think that's the biggest difference. You know, you were able to get the ball in his hands and let him work. The first two passes of the second half that were completed by Mahomes to Kelsey went for probably four yards down the field. 
and ended up for 19 or 20 yards combined as a result of Kelsey just being able to do what he can do after the catch. You look at the defensive side of the ball, the two or three biggest plays that the Chiefs made the entire game were by their two or three best uh, defensive back or uh, defensive players. It was McDuffie on the, the third and five coming out of the two-minute warning, blitzing uh, and, and not knocking that ball down at the line of scrimmage. It was Chris Jones evading a block and getting right into uh, Brock Purdy's face by the goal line that forced the overtime field goal. Keeping your best players in advantageous positions to make key plays is huge. And I think that is something that the Chiefs did a tremendous job of allowing their guys to do because you don't take your best cover guy out of, out of coverage on a third and five with the game on the line. The Niners get that conversion there. They win yep. the game. That clock is running. You really don't have any true idea of when the next stoppage in play will come despite having two uh, timeouts. You blitz that guy and just say, I trust you go make a play, and he does. You won a Super Bowl as a result. So I I think that is something that Sarkeesian can watch that game and say, yeah, like we've got dogs here. We're going to let them free. You know, we're going to take the leash off them. We're going to trust them, and we're going to let them run. I I love that from Andy Reid and Spagnuolo last night. That's ultimately why they were able to win that game. Yeah, no, it's a great point that Andy reads all about letting his playmakers go out there and putting them in a position to make plays. He dials it up for him, but those guys definitely go out there and execute. I love that. That's a great point. Um, speaking of Andy Reed, uh, he, he admitted after the game that he did run the exact same game winning play that he ran against Philadelphia. Calls it corn dog. He said this time that. it was a little different. He put a little bit more mustard, a little bit more ketchup on the corn dog, <laughs> but he said it was still corn dog. I was just surprised considering how big of a of a play against the Philadelphia Eagles it was. Because remember they ran it twice against Philadelphia and scored on it, um, and so it was such a talked about topic. I was really surprised that the 49ers didn't have a built in fail safe within the coverage to cover right. the return motion. They really did not. Uh, essentially right. that's why that's what Andy Reid saw and he went to his bread and butter and that's what I like about this Andy Reid's got some bread and butter plays and 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 they happened in the red zone we know the Longhorns one of the worst touchdown percentage red zone offenses in all of college football last season I think they were 120th in touchdown percentage in the red zone actually the 49ers were first in the NFL and touchdown percentage in the red zone. I believe the Chiefs are around 13 or 14, but in this game, it came down to red zone touchdowns. Could you score touchdowns in the red zone? 49ers in overtime, got down there, kicked a field goal. After that, we saw Kansas City go all the way down, get in the red zone, and they would not settle for a field goal. They got a touchdown, the game winner. Um, I think that's important for Sark. Sark needs some of those money concepts in the red zone. There was not a money concept in the red zone right. for Sark this past season. Um, Andy Reid's got a few of those. I think Corn Dog, at least Return Motion, maybe one of them. And truth is, Sark can just steal that one. I'm not saying just use it exclusively, but he really can just steal that concept. I've seen him use Orbit Return. Uh, we've seen him use Return Motion time and time again. I don't know how often he, he's used it in the red zone this past season. And I remember saying I want to see them use more motion in the red zone, but you can even use it to that extent, just like they did with Corn Dog to isolate different matchups. And by the way, targets to motion, which is essentially what it was. A target to motion is a player who is targeted, who was in motion prior to the snap or at the time of the snap. Uh, it is probably one of the most efficient passes that a Steve Sarkeesian quarterback can throw. Uh, this past season, 
targets to motion over 10 yards per attempt. Anytime Sark's QBs targeted a player that was in motion prior to the snap or at the time of the snap, 78% completion percentage. And by the way, that tracks even last year. Last year, 10 yards per attempt and an 80 percent completion percentage last season 80.5 actually 2021 still tracks you will look at it 81 percent completion percentage on targets to motion 8.4 yards per attempt it works it works it, works. it, it does i'm telling you it works even better in the red zone and i want to go tracking to see how often sark uses it in the red zone but targets to motion return motion in the red zone for sark maybe something to add to the repertoire considering how effective we've seen it at the nfl level Rod, I wanted to ask you because that route is specific because in a way there's a built-in screen there with with yes. Kelsey going up the field, you know, he attracts the two defensive backs there, whether it's by design or not, you know, if he's supposed to be screening or whatever, but the return allows uh, for McCole Hardman to get free. And, you know, most times when you're in that, that red zone area, you know, as a defensive back, you're sitting there, you know, there's a banjo mm-hmm. call that play. Yep. Uh, if you're in man situ- uh, coverage, you know, you got to talk about if the outside guy's going out. I'll stick out here, whatever it might be. Is it tougher to dictate what might happen from a closer split when he goes into motion rather than coming from outside the numbers where he was against the Eagles a few years ago? Is that a little bit different, more difficult to decipher as a defensive back? Because we saw Texas in real life uh, situations figure that out on the fly. And it won them a game against Kansas State because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to have that little rub route, the little – a return to the outside action there. And, you know, I, I think it was uh, Ryan Watts who actually stayed outside and gave off yeah. the inside route. He was in position and there was nowhere to go. We saw that this past year, but from a different look in that bunch, that trips bunch uh, formation, is that a little bit, you know, a, a more of a challenge to decipher and dictate what might come as a result? Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Yeah, no doubt it is. Uh, there's no question because uh, at that time, depending on the alignment and you did have Kelsey going straight up the field, that'll probably end up, you'll end up tangoing or passing that route off with a different defender because you're right. always communicating that what they're doing in that, with, in, with that motion is the coverage is bumping. We call it bump. We're going to bump the coverage. I mean, everybody's going to bump one guy over. We're going to bump that coverage over. And the belief, or at least the thought process in bumping the coverage, is that that receiver who is in motion, he will cross the formation. Or at least he will go far enough across the formation where I can pass him off to the next defender. And when you just do a simple return motion, essentially it violates the rules of our, Mm -hmm. what you call the tango or the rules of the inside out coverage uh we should we should call it you know we're going tango which means i'll take the inside cut you take the outside cut depending right. on who's outside and who's inside but we do the return motion totally totally violates any rules uh of, of tango because automatically i'm looking for that receiver coming back at me that's my guy from the inside defender and the outside defender has already passed them off now you should if you're the outside defender you should confirm it 
And that's why I think it's why it's, it's it's really a trick on your eyes more so than the coverage rules. Because if the defender keeps his eyes on that motion man, he'll see him return and then he can jump the route. But they all the eyes, the eyes always let him go. You can tell the defenders always pass him off, and their eyes automatically go to number two, the yeah. second, the second receiver, which was Kelsey or whoever it may be. And once those eyes go to number two receiver, that guy's already wide open. There's nobody in the coverage who is has the responsibility of that guy because he's already been passed off. That's what right. the tango was for. So essentially there is, unless you build it, the fail safe within the coverage, which I'm surprised they didn't do because we've seen corn dog before in a Super Bowl, win it for him. I thought they would have a built-in fail safe. They did not. And they had multiple defenders, like you said, on Kelsey. There were multiple defenders chasing the inside cut but there was only one defender to defend that outside cut coming back. And he was already deciding that that was not his responsibility. So we'd already dropped back too deep to even defend that quick route. So it's, it really is. I know it's hell. It is a, it works every time. And I, I'll give props to Andy Reed. He saw, cause they didn't run that a lot during the game. Remember in the Philadelphia game, they ran it twice. It was so right. successful. They came back and ran it again in this game. You didn't even see him run it a lot. I think he saw something on that drive. Uh, he saw a way to violate their rules of coverage, and the return motion was definitely the way to do it. I, I, I would love to see Sark run more of it because it does. It continuously forces the defense to communicate, and if they're going to communicate, they're usually going to miscommunicate, and that's basically what ends up, you know, forcing a miscommunication. Yeah, I, I, I love that breakdown because you see how difficult it is from a different look and a different formation yeah. uh, on defenses. And I think that's something Sarkeesian, like you said, can add to his playbook. Just the little wrinkles that add, you know, a, a, a look that you haven't necessarily seen before. Yep. And Andy Reid, after the game, you know, was was explaining what the play call was to a member of the NFL, uh, just so he could jot it down and, and make sure that it's, mm -hmm. you know, etched in stone for the rest of NFL oh, history. Yeah. But he's sitting there, you know, he gives the play call. And I think that the motion was called shuttle, a quick little – you know, mm -hmm. run right behind the, the two guys in front of him and come back, as, as you said. Um, but he said, you know, we don't have many one read plays in our playbook. That was a one look play. Yeah. Like there wasn't a second opportunity. If you watch that play again, uh, Travis Kelsey is the second guy. Uh, he's a second wide receiver out there. He runs four yards up and he doesn't ever turn around. He doesn't even look over to see if he catches the ball or not. He just runs right up the field and he looks straight ahead. I guess there must have been a, a, a video board in the end zone over there because he never turned around. And he, he then just heard the roar of a crowd and went straight over to McCole Hardman and celebrated. But that was the only play or only only option for Mahomes to go to. And wow. so when you talk about red zone creativity, making sure it's not just the route concepts that win, but the pre-snap motion and the design of the play that allows your guy to be open. If I'm Sarkeesian, I'm opening up the backpack and I'm shoving that play right on in there and say, Hey, week one, week two of spring football, yes, get ready boys. Cause red zone period, we got some new plays. And that's the crazy thing about it. I've seen Sark use not that exact concept, but I seen him use return motion in mm -hmm. the red zone with Bama. I seen him use it with Texas. I think what well, we're both saying, we want to see it more. Uh, yeah, from with, this, with this group of speedy kind of, you know, jitter buggy uh, wide yep. receivers. I think I you'll see a little bit more. It's a great point, man. I can see Matthew Golden in that role. I can see Silas Bolden in that role. Silas Bolden, I can yep. see a bunch of guys uh, in that role specifically. Uh, okay, 
Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, I I totally agree with you on that. It's a good breakdown too. I thought that was a single read. I would say about Sark. Sark dials up a lot of those types of plays for Quinn. Uh, and I, 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 they're basically kind of first read wide window throws is what I call them. It's a first read mm-hmm. wide window throw. I've schemed it up for you. There is no progression here. All right. That guy's going to be wide the open. All right. That's the first read. It's wide windows. And he does a lot of those for Quinn. And I think that's a perfect opportunity on the goal line, simplified for your quarterback. All he's got to worry about is accuracy and timing. And that's something I think Quinn does really well. Um, okay, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes a little bit before we get out of here because, yeah, this this guy is on his way to potentially, <laughs> you know, oh, and I it's hard to think of because Tom Brady just retired and he's he's been the goat for so long, uh, in in, in our minds, but already Patrick Mahomes with his third Super Bowl, another Super Bowl MVP performance. Yeah, I mean, he is well on his way to surpassing all of the great accomplishments and achievements that Tom Brady has in his career. I'm not saying he's going to do it. I'm not I'm not predicting that, but I'm just saying he's well on his way. I mean, basically, he's got a better start to his career than any other athlete in major pro sports history. Um, one of the things I think that that Patrick Mahomes does really well, at least his X-Man ability, something that really sets him apart, is his ability to come back from a deficit. Do you realize in the four Super Bowls this guy's played in, he's been down double digits in every Super Bowl? He's been down double digits in every Super Bowl. And he's won three of them. I didn't want to get Tampa Bay. He couldn't find a way to come back because, hey, even a quarterback, he needs an old line. He's somebody to black for him. But I think it is unbelievable that in the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes can be down double digits and still manage to come back and win against what is what are seen as insurmountable odds. I'll give you some numbers real quick. Because you know, people think, oh, down double digits, man. That's, you know, hey, Tom, because we've seen Tom Brady do it and we've seen Patrick Mahomes do it. So I think people may be thinking that's kind of a common thing. That's commonplace for you to be down double no. digits in the playoffs and be able to find a way to win the game. Guys, I went and looked at some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Here are the numbers for here are the numbers for Aaron Rodgers down double digits in the playoffs. He's two and six. Drew Brees down double digits in the playoffs. He's one and eight. Aaron, uh, Brett Favre down double digits in the playoffs. One and seven. Peyton Manning down double digits in the playoffs. He's two and seven. Joe Montana down double digits in the playoffs. Two and six. If you go look at Patrick Mahomes down double digits in the playoffs, he's five and two. <laughs> He's five and two. Tom Brady is five and eight. Wow. There's not a major quarterback. There's not a major elite quarterback ever in the NFL that has a winning record, anything close to a winning record, when they're down double digits in the playoffs, except for Patrick Mahomes. He's the only one I can find. I'm sure I'll go back and do some more research and try to figure it out. But right now, his X-Man ability is something that he does better than anybody else. And I honestly, I think the Big 12 helped him here. Mm-hmm. CJ, he says this. I'll give the, the quote right here from Patrick Mahomes. I, I went and looked it up, and he was asked about his ability, this, this uncanny ability to come back from a double-digit deficit. And he said he actually gives a lot of props to the Big 12. He said, quote, I kind of joke around about it sometimes, but I was kind of blessed to be in the Big 12 where you had to go and score. And if you threw an interception, you got the ball back. 
and you try to score again. I've kind of had that mindset where no matter what happens the last play, just focus on the next play. There were four games when he was at Texas Tech where he scored 50 points and lost. There were there were eight times when he scored at least 35 points and lost uh, from 2015 to 2016 as a starting quarterback. If you go look at Patrick Mahomes' last game as a starter in high school, think about it, last game as a starter in high school, Patrick Mahomes lost that last his last starting game in high school 65 to 60. He lost. He lost his last game. 65 to 60. There's something about the football character of Patrick Mahomes that has been almost terraformed by his time at Tech in the Big 12, having to score all these points, Cliff Kingsbury and Tech not really having a defensive culture, and them being all offense, so offensively centric, and having to continuously battle back from insurmountable odds. And it seems like even before then, going back to high school, how many times do you think a player has scored 60 points and lost a game, CJ? It, it seems like this, this trauma has turned him into maybe the greatest weapon in NFL history when he is at a deficit. Nobody in the history of the NFL is better working from a deficit, especially a double-digit deficit, than Patrick Mahomes. And a lot of it, guys, is due to the way he had to perform in the Big 12 as a tech quarterback where he just got used to slanging the rock and getting used to being in shootouts week after week. And it didn't matter if the defense was going to show up or special teams going to show up because that's not how they were winning games. They were winning games by how many points he could score. And there were times where 50 wasn't enough. And I don't know if other quarterbacks have had that type of um, scarring, emotional scarring that led to them now having a, a mindset where no, there seems to be no uh, deficit that is insurmountable for him now. He believes he can overcome all of them because he believes he can score 40, 50 points if he needs to. That right. is something I think I'll give credit to the Big 12 for being able to evolve in his game because now nobody is better uh, at a double-digit deficit than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I was going to say the, the one note, the one stat that I found after the game that I found on Twitter, and I wish I could credit it to whoever tweeted it out, Patrick Mahomes' average yards and losses in college was 388. Exactly. It's, it's remarkable. It's like, truly what? remarkable. How did um, that happen? <laughs> but, no, it, I mean, it, it's, it's bizarre that it's so consistently successful for Patrick Mahomes to come back from these deficits, but – uh, the thing that is the most impressive to me is when you go down in games and you need to win football games in these, you know, do or die situations, you start pressing a little bit. It's human nature. Yeah. You know, you, you, you make a throw that, you know, into a window you probably wouldn't have in week seven or week eight game, just because stakes are higher. Now Patrick Mahomes is doing this. And I know he threw an interception last night, yeah. but that was the first interception he had thrown in a playoff game in 225 pass attempts. It's remarkable. He one one turnover over the last two postseasons in which he did face deficits. He was an underdog in the last three games against the Ravens, the Bills, and obviously what we saw last night. And he does this in such a way that he protects the football and keeps his team in a position to really control their own destiny offensively with his legs and with his arm. Like you said, I don't know if I've ever seen it this consistently from a quarterback 
over time. It's because Brady's first three rings, it, he was not the best player on his team those years. No, he, you know, he was a guy that wouldn't necessarily turn the ball over, but he's not going to go out there and make the game winning play. He developed that later on, obviously, but Mahomes is doing this from the jump. And I think that's the most impressive thing right now uh, to not for, force the ball, not create turnovers and to still find a way to win Super Bowls. And incredible. That's a great way of putting it. Like it seems like other quarterbacks in that situation, they try to do too much. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes knows exactly, exactly what needs to be done to execute in those moments. It's it's uncanny. It really is. I've never seen a quarterback more comfortable at a double-digit deficit in the playoffs, guys. As I just gave the numbers, that's supposed to be all she wrote. And so mm -hmm. I feel bad for my boy Shannon because he's been up double digits on Tom Brady. All right, in the playoffs and on Patrick Mahomes twice. His three Super Bowl losses, he was up double digits on them two dudes. But those happen to be the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game when they're playing from a double digit deficit. Sorry, Shano. Yeah. Brutal. That, it's brutal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The man's supposed to have a Super Bowl right now, guys. I'm telling you, you get up double digits in the playoffs, that's supposed to be a dub. But not against Patrick Mahomes. Ain't nothing guaranteed. Uh, let's give props to John Donovan really quick before we get out of here. Uh, John Donovan, president of Longhorn Wealth Management Group. He's a proud Texas Exes Life member who has served over 15 years as a Texas Exes board member. His wife and all six of John's siblings are also UT grads, and they are proud of it. It is this deep UT connection that led John to brand his firm Longhorn Wealth and dedicate his uh, time and his energy to providing total wealth management for Texas alumni, employees, family, and Friends, uh, he's off. He's obviously uh, talking about a lot of Super Bowl championships today. But we're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. And speaking of champions, that's exactly what John Donovan brings to the table as a certified financial planner who has spent over 30 years providing championship level investment, retirement insurance and estate planning services and solutions to all of his clients. Give John Donovan and his Longhorn Wealth Team a call today at five is nine seven two. 707-4900. That's 972-707-4900. Or visit longhornwealth.net for a free 90-minute consultation to explore how they can help you maximize and protect your tax-efficient retirement income to help you live the retirement of a champion. All right, CJ, thank you for the time, brother. It was fun as always. No, absolutely, Rod. I'm glad we're both uh, back in ATX, ready to rock and roll, but that was a fun weekend. No doubt about it. All right, we'll be back for another edition of Talking Ball next week. Uh, for my man CJ, for John Donovan, and for myself, thank you guys and hook them. Hook them.